Hello there and welcome back to another episode of Thanks Morris. I am Marie, the SLP, and in today's episode, we are going to talk about the deaf and hard of hearing population with my friend Lauren. She is a fellow SLP and a fellow Harry Potter fan who works with students who are deaf and hard of hearing and works on all their speech and language skills, their articulation skills, and has a lot of knowledge to share with us today. So please help me welcome Lauren. All right. Welcome, Lauren. Hi. So happy to have the opportunity to talk to you. Yes, I'm so glad you're here. I can't wait to hear all about the great things you do. I'm not going to talk too much right now because I want to hear all about you. Um, yeah. so just let us know like, where you work, where, what your background is in the field of speech pathology and all those fun things. Totally. So, hi, everybody. Super excited to be here. But um, I... I'm a Sacramento area SLP, so I've been working for about four years, about to start my fourth year, including my CF, but kind of a little background is I went to University of the Pacific in Stockton for my undergrad. I went to San Jose State for my grad school, go Spartans, and um, kind of what led me to where I am now is... When I was at San Jose State, they had these great opportunities to be a part of grants, which um, I didn't know existed in grad school until I got there. But basically, if you wanted to broaden your experience and knowledge in one particular area, such as AAC or cultural diversity, or in my case, working with deaf and hard of hearing kids, um, you could apply for that grant. And basically, instead of having a semester off in between your first and second year of grad school, you take extra courses and you do extra hours of observation and clinic work working with a specific population. So I was so grateful to be given that opportunity and it kind of opened my eyes to this world that I didn't know a whole bunch about. Um, my aunt was an interpreter, so I had an interest in the population when I started working, um, but I didn't know where kind of it would lead me. Um, and it led me to an externship placement at a amazing school called the Chat Center, which is the Children's Choice for Hearing and Talking. And I was there my spring semester before I graduated, and it changed my life, literally. Um, I got to work with a population of kiddos that I just fell in love with. So, and I'll kind of talk about that, like school in general later, but it just gave me this breadth of information that you don't get in grad school. There's so many things, like when you are in it, you're like, wow, okay, I'm going to use this and I'm going to do soap notes and I'm going to do all these things. But then you get out into the real world and you realize that there's a whole bunch of stuff that you don't know anything about. You get these snippets. And so I now have a lot more knowledge in this area. Um, and so I actually left for a year. They didn't have a place for me, unfortunately, when I left, like right when I graduated. But then um, when I finished my CF, I came back and now that's where I work. So I work at chat with five other SLPs. So there's a team of us, which is amazing. Um, and we just, we get to do the best thing every day, which is to hang out with kids and we get to give them an experience of communication that um, I don't think is pretty common um, and it's an unusual population to work with fully, right? It's like 
you might have one kid with hearing loss on your caseload, but I have 12. All my kids, all of the kids at our school have hearing loss. Um, and so our school is a little bit different. It's a non-public school. Um, and we do babies all the way to third grade or about nine years old. And all of our kids are using listening and spoken language. So we don't utilize sign language in our program and they all use technology. So hearing aids and cochlear implants. So sometimes when we're lucky, we get them from the ground floor from when they first get diagnosed until we mainstream them back into their homeschool district, which is the end goal for all of our students is to get them mainstreamed back in. Um, to the district. So to the public schools? Correct. Or wherever their home school okay. is. Um, we contract with the school district. So we're actually, they are placed in our program through the school district. Um, because it's such a small, low incidence disability, often the services that are required, um, either they uh, are, they don't have a deaf and hard of hearing teacher in the school district and they're placed with us or the caseload is too big or the service intensity is too much. So they come to our school where we can provide a lot more specialized service to them. Yeah. So cool. I love it. And it is, you're, you're right. It's such a niche field and you know, I, I shared with you a little bit before we started recording, but I worked for in one of my, um, clinics, I got to have the opportunity to go off my campus and work with students at the California School for the Deaf in Riverside. So my supervisor was one of the speech pathologists there, um, you know, and there's so many different models of um, working with, you know, the deaf and hard of hearing population, you know, whether um, you're using the, what is it, like the total communication um, or just sign or just auditory. So it's, there's so many different things, so many different backgrounds too, that go into that population and, and cultures and families and all kinds of stuff. So I'm very curious to hear more about the listening and spoken language model. Um, because I didn't, I don't believe, see, this has been years now <laughs> since I was there, but I also didn't really, I didn't know a lot of sign, didn't really know what I was do when I was still in grad school. Um, but I had a great time working there. So I'm curious. So tell me more about this listening and spoken language model. Um, yeah. So um, our program, we obviously don't use um, sign language, but we kind of have like different strategies and different um, approaches to therapy. So we are really fortunate that our school is very small. So we do a lot of parent involvement because that's the biggest piece. We're with our kids maybe 10% of the time, right. but we really do rely heavily on that parent training, especially because when you have hearing loss, there's so much language that's missed, especially with late identification, late implantation, um, progressive hearing loss is something we see sometimes with our kids. Um, and then just different parts of California. It's just not very um, abundant yet to have, you know, ABRs and awareness of, you know, oh, the milestones aren't being met here. Maybe they're just delayed. And then it's, you know, they get to a school district and they're like, oh, wait, no, he hasn't passed a hearing test. So it's one of those things where we get to really be on the ground floor of everything. But the listening and spoken language model is just where you're providing an auditory um, infrastructure for these kids who missed it 
from the womb. Like typically developing kids do incidental learning. They do, and you know, observation. They get so much of that from just overhearing, which our kids don't. We have to explicitly teach them what sounds are, what environmental sounds are. When they hear a fire truck, we have to, you know, show them fire truck. When you hear that, that's what that is. Or um, just sound awareness, localization, all of these different things. And we can do that with their technology, um, with intensive services. So um, we, some of our SLPs on staff have a listening and spoken language certification. Um, you have to wait three years post your CF to even apply for it. So I've actually been working towards that um, while I've been working at chat to do some other specialized things. Um, but yeah, it's just an interesting way to do it. We're always looking for how to do therapy auditorily and using these different strategies um, that you probably do in therapy anyway with other kiddos who are working on the same goals, but you just didn't have a name for it. Um, like an auditory feedback loop, you know, making sure when they're hearing themselves and bringing awareness to how they sound or what other things sound like or auditory bombardment where we, you know, give them so much. We say the same colors and the same sounds and the same words over and over and over again so that it gets kind of implanted in their heads or, you know, auditory sandwich where we give it to them, then we give them a visual and then we sandwich it again with that auditory. So they're getting context for what they're hearing or what they're seeing with that auditory, but then providing them some support on their way to doing it just on their own. Um, and then acoustically highlighting things. I swear I sing half the time. I'm in therapy. It's like, oh, do you want to pick the red one? You know, it's like you're highlighting what they want. You want the emphasis to be on, which I'm sure you do with your preschoolers, right? I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, all day long. <laughs> I'm singing all day long. Right. And so it's one of those things where you know, I have a name for it and I'm doing it for a specific purpose, but these strategies can be used with all kids, not just deaf and hard of hearing kids, but it's extra important for them um, to just build their auditory processing centers and their auditory comprehension and, and all of those different things. Um, but as I was like writing things down to talk about, I realized I do the same goals. I, I talk about Arctic, I do pronouns, I do all the different goals with the same, with these kids. I just focus on how I present the information is a little bit different for them. Right. And I think it's, you know, it's every kid sometimes needs different presentations of, you know, when I have a group, I like to group my kids with like goals, but that doesn't always work because it's not as effective of me actually grouping one child that has a receptive language goal with a child with an expressive language goal because they either both might respond the same to certain things that we do um, or they're each other's peer models or whatever it is. But you have to be so just open-minded with that. So I love that. Um, it's so neat. So do any of your kids, when they come into your program, have they maybe had any kind of sign language? I'm just really curious now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, sometimes, especially our infants and our toddlers, they're often placed in a county program where they're getting both sign support and spoken language support. So for us, we're just, our main goal is for these kids to have communication, right? So if there's kids who come with signing backgrounds, 
we're going to acknowledge the communication. We're going to let them know that we know what we're talking about, but we're not going to respond with sign um, unless they're absolute, unless we absolutely need to, we try and fade it out. Um, and then the opposite way, if we're, we have a kiddo in our program who is really struggling and they're not enjoying their implants or they're, you know, they're not accessing information the way that they should and they need sign language or they need an AAC device, we're not going to keep them at our school just because we want them to, to listen and speak. We're going to do what's best for that kid and either give them supplemental signs. So when they go to a signing program, they'll have some foundational skills or we, you know, make those adjustments. And we're really probably the biggest thing is we're communicating with our families about what's best for these kids. So, you know, we're not, um, again, the biggest thing for us is we just want, all of our kids to succeed and whatever communication modality that that fits for that kid is what we're going to choose for that kid um, and what works for their families too. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that approach of that heavy parent involvement or family involvement because as everybody knows, I love it. (laughs) And um, it's just so important, especially when you're looking at, I mean, any, any child it's important, but when you're looking at, kind of these very, very foundational skills, like making up, like you said, for those missed sounds and language from, you know, being in the womb and, and everything that, that close relationship to make sure things are, parents feel equipped to do things at home and continue these things because you only see them for 10% of the time. Right. And I feel like for us, we have this unique position of we only have 60 kids total in our entire school versus some people might have that on their entire caseload. And I know when I was a CF and I worked in the elementary school, there were times where I didn't see the parents until the IEP meeting. I had no connection with them. And then maybe that was my immaturity as a therapist, right? That I didn't reach out or I didn't try a little bit more for that parent involvement piece. But um, at chat, we actually highly suggest that parents attend one therapy session a week. So we see our kids, um, we do intensive speech and language at our program. So five days a week, four times individual and one time in a group session for some social um, peer um, instruction. And we ask parents to come once a week to be in the therapy session so we can teach them how to do that acoustic highlighting or that auditory bombardment, especially with our littles, you know, our zero to three population. That's so critical for them. Even zero to five. Oh, it's all critical. But, yeah. Um, and so that's been probably the best for our parents when all of this happened, this transition to distance learning is some of our parents were able to implement the the activities and the strategies that we were trying to do through Zoom because they'd watched me do it in therapy in the classroom for months or yeah. years. Even. Um, but our biggest focus is that baby and me program that we have. Um, infants that come who are identified through ABRs, which so happy California passed that law so that every child gets an ABR because that's so critical for that early detection. Um, we get to do so much parent training and, and parent education, but mostly we're just there to parents get to talk to us and talk to someone who understands a hearing loss journey and someone who can provide them with questions, questions and support and just understanding that I think, you know, not all pediatricians or 
you know, friends of theirs, even with typically developing babies. It's just this really unique position. And then we provide community. There's four or five other families in that program. So they get to talk to each other about their hearing loss journeys and what they're experiencing. Because I don't have any kids. I don't have any kids with hearing loss. So I can only go so far from that professional piece, but connecting our families has been so important. Um, But we just provide them so much information so that it doesn't feel so daunting and heavy um, when they get to us. So it's, yeah. If you can't tell, I love my job. I know. I love it. I mean, I'm, I, I love talking to other speech pathologists because I feel like we've all gotten here because we want with this idea of helping not only the individuals communicate but like for their family's quality of life together as a unit you know and um it's so I love it so much and it's funny because you know in the schools especially in a public school like I get like it's hard to make those connections with the families and the parents and that's a big goal of mine this year with the opportunity of teletherapy because I might have a little bit more of a chance to sit and directly talk with the families and, and just say, how are you doing? You know? <laughs> um, for them too, to hear that question of, you know, I think when parents get to us or even, you know, on an IEP, it's like, you're so focused on the kid that sometimes just looking at that parent and say, I see you and I recognize how hard this is for you, and how can I support you in this process, or what can I do a little bit differently to give you more, or would you like something different, or present it in a different way, like, how can I give you access to this information, Um, and so it's nice to hear you, you know, saying that in that world where your caseload is a little bit bigger than just 12. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, it's okay. It's going to work. I'm, I'm, I'm excited so far. So talk to me in a couple of weeks. We'll see how I'm doing. Well, <laughs> everybody check in with Marie. Um, make sure I'm, I'm still smiling. No, um, it'll, it's, it's going to be great because I do. I only get to see them at an IEP meeting and maybe a couple of times, you know, during drop off and pickup and it's like, a, oh, hey, oh, did that strategy work? Great. Have fun, you know, and that's it. There's no intimate come sit, come watch. Let me watch you, you know, let me, if you have questions right now because you're playing with your child, let me answer them and show you how. And so. Yeah. And I think too, the the biggest thing about doing our work on distance learning is I can say, okay, I want you to find a toy that you can make something go up, up, up and down. And they're like, Mm -hmm. I don't have a toy like that. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to have you make one or I'm going to use what's in your house. Cause when you come to my therapy room, I have all the toys and all the things that do exactly what I need it to. And so to be able to manipulate things that are in their space to work on repetition, to work on those strategies, to provide them that information has been for me, the biggest success. I'm like trying to look at this positively. I'm trying to think about how this experience can be positive for our families because for us, especially doing zoom with kiddos with hearing loss is so challenging on top of just everything else on top of social aspect. It's I'm trying to work on articulation and they can't hear me and I can't hear them. And, you know, we're trying to build these connections and it's, it's so hard over zoom, especially for our kids. You know, that auditory piece is so jumbled and so, it's just not clear for them through their technology. No. 
I mean, I'm sure even right now, like there are things that get distorted. I'm in Zoom and I'm probably used to it because I've been Zooming since March. So, (laughs) but it's, you know, I'm getting a handful of new fresh three-year-olds on my caseload that I've never gotten to see in person. They've never heard my voice um, in person. So it's going to be interesting see, you know, working with them. But like you said, there's positives in it. Um, It's hard. It's challenging. It's a change for everybody. But I want my, the families I work with to know we're going to work together. You know, I'm not just here to tell you what to do, or I'm not here to, um, uh, you know, I'm not a magician either. (laughs) I guess I should say like, we're going to work together. (laughs) I think too, like a big piece that's been hard for me is as, you know, our kids can age out of our program and there's a couple kids this year that this was the end of their time at chat. And we use this spring semester to really hone in their self-advocacy skills, which is another big thing for us and, and working with um, their technology. So we actually, every single day, most of our kids, their equipment is um, equipped with Um, Bluetooth technology that connects to a transmitter that I wear around my neck. So it's basically a microphone that I wear around my neck that Bluetooth connects into their hearing aids and implants. So it directly feeds my voice into their devices so that it it removes um, background noise. Yeah. Those exterior sounds that might be distracting for them. And it really gets your language into their auditory brainstem, basically. It's, yeah. it's getting in there. Um, and so that piece of it where we're teaching them how to use that equipment independently. We start that from our toddler class on how to put on their equipment and how to use it and how to use that technology, that transmitter. But this past six months is when we really hone in those skills who are about to transcend into a classroom of 30 yeah. The teacher has never met someone with hearing loss before. So they don't know that sitting in the front of the class isn't the best place for them. It's actually sitting in the middle off to one side so that they have the visuals for all the classroom setting or that a portable is the worst auditory environment for every child. <laughs> I know. Hearing loss, but there's way to, ways to adapt that. So we're basically from when our kids get to our school until they leave training them on these self-advocacy skills um where they're asking the teacher oh i didn't hear you can you say that again or you're the transmitter is muted and you're facing the board i can't hear you being able to speak up for themselves and, and take charge of their own hearing loss is basically the biggest piece of my job is explaining their hearing loss to them, having them explain their hearing loss to others, be able to work with their own equipment, be able to explain to someone how to use their equipment. And that's the biggest piece of what my job too. And so this six months has been so hard to be like, oh, you know, your transmitter that you haven't had or seen since we left school because your parents don't need to wear it in the home environment because it's quiet or you, you know, it's been sitting in a box so it's not charged. They don't think about it to work in a, in the home. So, right. um, you know, that piece of it is hard to, you know, I want our kids when they mainstream to feel confident and successful and be able to go into that 30 person classroom and say, 
Mrs. Johnson, can you please wear this? And I don't want to hear you when you're in the teacher's lounge, but I want to hear you when you're teaching math. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember I had a, um, when I was working in a middle school for my, like my internship right before I graduated, uh, I had a, I, I want to say little boy. He was not little. He was a sixth grader, but like taller than me. And um, he, uh, had cochlear implants and then he had a transmitter and so um I'd wear it you know whatever but then like I would always forget to give it because he had a one-on-one aid too um that would like drop him off at speech and then she'd be there when we were done and I would always forget to give it back to her so he would leave and then I'd start talking to my supervisor and she'd be like Marie you're still wearing (laughs) you're still wearing it (laughs) like he could hear you which it was never a bad thing or you know whatever he was an awesome kid and it was probably always like oh my gosh he did so good but um it's just funny because it was one of those things where I'm like well there you go buddy (laughs) sorry (laughs) we all make mistakes but and that's like what I've heard so many horror stories of like teachers saying when I, um, I last year got to go out into the mainstream and actually do in services for some of the staff that was working with our students or working with other students that we'd never seen before um, and providing them that. And they, I had this one teacher basically tell me, she's like, yep, went to the bathroom. And then this kid came out and was mortified, right? Because, you know, he has the awareness that he knows what he's hearing, but he he didn't have the confidence or even the, you know, where am I? I'm at recess and I can hear my teacher in the teacher's lounge or or talking badly about other students. It's just, you know, we know what happens, but... (laughs) Right. Like they don't need to know. They don't need to know. The student doesn't need to know. And like, it's a good, also just good self, uh, self-awareness check. Maybe you shouldn't be doing that teachers. (laughs) Like, but, um, yeah, so funny. And it's so interesting because well, I I guess my brain is preschool brain. So I'm, I'm thinking, cause I don't have any, um, any, uh, deaf or hard of hearing children on my caseload. I haven't had them since my clinical fellowship, which I was in elementary school. Um, and so with preschool, I'm like, how do you, I mean, how do you teach about them about their technology? What's like a good. I think, well, actually my best friend who um, is a teacher at my school, she was the preschool teacher. And I feel like I learned so much from her about how to do it in an accessible way for that age group where it's not, overwhelming for them or you're worried about them damaging their equipment. It's a slow process at first. Um, The first thing we do is just sound awareness. So every morning our students do a ling check and I'm sure you've heard that before, the ah, ee, mm, and sh. And we do that every morning. So they sit down with the teacher and they take off either their hearing aid or their implant and they know that that's the routine. It's all about routines for our kids not in an overly structured way, but to know that there's an expectation around their equipment. And we tell them when you take it out, it's harder for you to hear. So that's why we do these checks and they get to kind of be empowered by it. Oh, I know it's my turn. Okay, look, I'm going to take out my hearing aid or I'm going to take off my implant. I'm ready. Um, And then just being able to start them on that process of those ear molds are hard to get in for those tiny little fingers and so we start you know with a little you can't see me right now but um 
we guide it in for them. And then they are empowered by pushing in the ear mold and throwing the ear hook over. And that's the first step where they see me with a mirror so that they're watching what I'm doing and they put it in and then they put the ear hook over. Um, and for them to change sometimes on the implants or the hearing aids to connect to that transmitter, there's an extra piece they might have to add. So at first, you know, we have an aide in the classroom or I will bring their equipment into my office and we help them take it off. We show them, we talk to them about it. It's a whole process. Oh, we're gonna take it apart. We're gonna put this piece on and then we're gonna put it together. And at first you look at them and you're like, no way are they gonna be able to do this. And then at the end of the year, you're like, oh my gosh, she just put on her receivers all by herself. And there's a twisting motion or sometimes you have to slide them on and off or sometimes some of our kids with tinier ears wear these little plastic tubes around their implants called huggies. Mm -hmm. And those are hard fine motor to get over their ears. But kids are so resilient. And when they have so many opportunities to be successful, they always will be. And sometimes they need a little bit more support at the beginning, but then sometimes, you know, they don't. And we talk about it in little ways every day, little ways they can be empowered by their hearing loss or little ways every day that they can be successful and we root them on. You didn't hear your SH yesterday. You heard it today. Great. Or you couldn't get your ear hook over yesterday, but you did it today. Great. It's just little wins every day. Um, yeah. And I think in, um, when I was leading group speech too, we talked a lot about just advocating for themselves and, and understanding their hearing loss. Why do you wear these things? Because in our classroom, everyone wears something on their ears, basically. So when they go out teaching them, oh, do I wear something behind my ear? Do I, can I hear with my ears? Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a nice balance of being able to express to them that yes, they're different, but that doesn't mean that they have any less successes than we do. Right. And it's probably like their confidence. I just think of even my, my students with, um, you know, just limited intelligibility and things when they realize how, you know, when, when they start maybe correctly saying certain sounds consistently and they realize that they're being better understood, they're a lot more eager to, um, you know, maybe, maybe they get loud and maybe they're a little bit more vocal or like I always think of it too, even when they're not always saying those sounds consistently, but when we as the adults aren't constantly correcting them, we're giving them the opportunity to keep doing it themselves. Um, their confidence is boosted. So I, I bet these little ones that you work with, it's like, well, I know that if I do this, I hear better and it helps me in the world. So of course I'm going to wear it <laughs> like, or put it on, you know? And they're so motivated by peers. So like if, yeah. one, if another friend in their class has, you know, put their receivers on by themselves and they see the reaction from the speech therapist and the aide and, you know, other people in the school, because everyone knows how exciting that is. Other teachers that aren't their teacher or people who come in our director, you know, oh, she got all this attention because she put her receivers on all by herself. Tomorrow, I'm going to do it. You yeah. see a lot of that peer motivation um, in our school too. Yeah. He did it. I'm going to do it now. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's like, peers are golden. I always, I joke with uh, some of my, the teachers I work with, I'm like, half the time, I don't know if I'm even needed. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> you know, the kids are way more motivated by their peers, but I, that's, that's part of the art of grouping them correctly, I guess. <laughs> so they, they're motivated, but. Um, I think sometimes too, you know, we see all of our kids individually, but you know, towards the end of when they're either mainstreaming into the um, school district or they're really honing in on a certain skill, I'll sometimes bring two people of my friends in together. I just call all my kids my friends because they are. I, um, I did that too. <laughs> and just seeing like, you know, especially if that other friend is struggling with, you know, their K's or their G's and they're hearing that or they're working on longer sentences. You just see this strength and number sometimes. And so it's nice when you have peers together in that structure because there's only so much we can do. There has to be intrinsic motivation for them. And sometimes when friends don't understand them or when they're really struggling, that's what does it for them. I can tell them all day or I can work with them all day, but when when there's that friend or peer motivation, I find that to be the most rewarding. And I think you find that all across populations. Yeah, because, you know, the way I'll explain it sometimes um, to teachers or parents is the child sees another person that talks like them, looks like that, you know, they're their size. Um, and I, they're just like, yeah, you get me, you know, this tall lady who has a louder voice and, um, talks a lot with her hands. <laughs> you know, she doesn't get me. <laughs> I'll talk with our hands. Why is that? I, well, you know, and it's funny because I tell parents talk with your hands, like with gestures and stuff like that. But I, I'm, I like, I see myself when it's not even applicable. Like we're not working on up and down and I'm not moving my hands up and down. I'm just sitting there with the child, like, no, (laughs) my hands are flying. But, um, yeah, I know. You know, play Fortnite or Roblox or Minecraft or talk right. or, or Thomas know, the Train. Trolls. <laughs> I don't know what it is about trolls these days. Yeah. I can do my best to connect with them, and I do, right? That's the benefit yeah. of seeing my kids that much and that often. And for typically when we have our kids there, we see them for two years, and then they change yeah. the different caseload. So I know their favorite colors and and the shows that they watch and their friends and and Mm -hmm. all those things. But I don't watch every Disney movie, though I should. And I don't, you know, I feel like it's blasphemy. But I I don't know who, you know, the miraculous ladybug is to now. But... (laughs) I still don't know all of the characters on Paw Patrol, and that's sad because I've been in preschool for two full years now. Um... And my, my, that's probably why they'd rather work with their peers now that I think about it. Right. <laughs> if you can't name Marshall and Chase and Rubble. Oh, gosh. Sky, ooh, I'm getting it. You are getting it. I, better, I, I could do most of the, the characters from the Cars movies, but that's because I like that movie. <laughs> so I'm, I need to start just being like, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to watch the things my students watch, but... Yeah. I'm still waiting for a friend to come into my speech room that loves Harry Potter as much as I I know. I don't know if I'll get that because they're not really old enough. But school, that's hard. I have this next year, I'm going to be working with all first through third graders. So there's a hope that maybe they'll have seen at least the first one. But yeah. yeah. I, think, I think I read the first one in third grade. 
that's when it came out. I was in third grade, I, I think. Maybe I'll try and convince the teacher to put it on the reading list. <laughs> the summer, summer reading list, so <laughs> they can oh. get it maybe read now. No. <laughs> but it is, it's that connection piece of, you know, you want to talk to people who know and like the same things that you do. And like you, you said, do. we're tall, strange, loud people. And we all are. Every SLP is tall and loud and organized. And, <laughs> and too, most of my kiddos are boys. I'm a girl. And, and I've had it, I've heard, I don't like girls. <laughs> and I'm like, well, sorry, but <laughs> like, this is what you get. They didn't hire a male SLP. Um, but, uh, you know, so sometimes, cause if I like both of my, my principal and vice principal are both, um, men. And if they walk through the rooms, you know, the classrooms and stuff, the kids are like, who are they? Like, <laughs> they're, they're not girls, but, and that's not always the case, but it's, there's a difference, um, you know? Yeah, so. we only have one male on our, or no, two now. We have two men on our staff. Not very common, but typically, you know, not statistically, boys are the ones that have language and speech. You know, you t- typically have a higher percentage of boys on your caseload, but you're totally yeah. right. Even in my I think now I have three girls, which is so exciting. I had one before. So it's, you know, for us, that's an even bigger connection. But yeah. Yeah. I just miss them. I do too. It's hard to, it's like, oh my gosh, my little ones. So many, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where I had a good chunk of my students. They're going to kindergarten um, or transitional kindergarten. So they're gone and I'm super bummed because those were my like they were my babies because they started preschool when I started working with preschool um and so I watched them develop and grow and all their speech and language skills get amazing and now they're going to kindergarten and I didn't get to see them for their last like two months of school (laughs) it's so hard to like you know the what ifs you know I know for us if we dwell on it it's it's gonna be hard and you get emotional but yeah that's the biggest piece about my school is that <clears throat> I get to love them on a level that I never thought I could. And the, yeah. I get to get to know their families and their siblings and yeah. I know all their dogs' names. It's like you get to know these kids on such a deep level. And so then for them to just be gone or for them <laughs> to be on a different caseload is so hard for me to wrap my head around because right? I'm, I'm like, should I have done more self-advocacy before they left? Should I have talked about their technology more before they left? Should I have worked on that K sound a little bit harder before they left? And, and it's those things of you hope that when they get to their public school, they have an open and accepting teacher who wears the transmitter, even though it's heavy and clunky and they can't wear their keys around their neck because it, you know, jangles or, that they'll be okay with seating them in a place in the classroom that they might not have before, or, you know, making sure that they're repetitive and giving them that vocabulary in advance and doing all these things before you just hope. I know you put so many positive vibes out there because our kids are unique and our kids are special and they mean so much to us that when we don't get the opportunity to put them in a nice little box and send them on their way um it feels hard and heavy yeah. sometimes. 
It is. But then, you know, we're getting a whole new group of them. So <laughs> that's exciting. So soon too. It's like, I know. Gearing <laughs> up, to, especially for you. Yeah. Right? Friday. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's it's, been a couple weeks, but. Yeah. But you know, I've, I've had a whole summer off. So I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's just crazy. It came so fast, but you know, and it's, it's so interesting starting off completely virtual too with the families and some of them I know, and some of them I have really great relationships with already. So it's going to be a really easy, all right, let's go. And then some of them, they either like, I have, I have a good handful that just started their preschool program, like the middle of February, end of February. Oh no. So <laughs> like we did a lot of, you know, the distance learning was optional. So that some of them didn't always come on um, to the class sessions where I was kind of popping in and they didn't take me up on any virtual sessions or anything. So um, I'm hope I'm hoping, you know, we're going to stick it out and, and I'll get to kind of start to work with them because I want the parents to know. I think part of it is like, okay, so I'm, I'm just supposed to leave my three-year-old in front of a screen and and I, my whole thing is, no, you stay there. <laughs> and, and if your three-year-old leaves, I could still talk to you. Um, right. That, so. I think so much of what we're doing right now is that parent education piece. And, and I think um, we're all getting better at it. That's the one thing I think in grad school they don't talk about enough is how important it is for you to talk. The kids are important, but the parents are just as important. Yes. And giving them the skills that they need to feel empowered and not be embarrassed to play and read and, and work with their kids. Um, and every family is different and every culture is different on what that looks like. Um, but yeah, that parent education piece, right? If my two-year-old goes and leaves and is screaming, okay, fine, I'm going to tell mom, this is what I was going to do today. And this is how you can do it. And do you have something in your house that works for this or this is how you can work on behaviors like that. Or I see that he threw off his implant. This is how you can um, mitigate that or help with making sure those behaviors don't stick. You know, I saw he was really frustrated. I don't think he did it because he was bothered by the implant. He wanted a rise out of you. So often that happens. <laughs> I was going to say, I remember um, when I was working at the, the school for the deaf, in Riverside, that was one of the things my supervisor told me. She was like, there were, you know, certain, a handful of kids on her caseload where she was like, they, these are the behaviors that you'll see. And um, it used to, you know, I, I get so scared. Like, I don't want them to ruin their implant or, you know, their, uh, you know, their ears basically and, and have a harder time uh, in school that day because, you know, it might take a couple of days if it breaks or whatever. But, um, I never wanted to be the cause of that, but I realized, you know, later on, especially now in preschool, like sometimes, you know, things get thrown and I think kids are smart and they know that's the one thing you want them to, to have right now. <laughs> so they're going to throw it. Um, yeah. That piece, when especially our littles, you know, that parent piece of don't have a reaction. You just, yeah. oh, no, that stays on. I feel like I say that probably 50 times when I'm working with my under threes. Oh, no, that stays on. Not a choice. Yeah. You know, it's like, and it just is. And then they realize, okay, she's not going to let me get away with this. I'm just going to leave this on because it's not getting me what I need. Right. Um, 
and solving that problem. But trying to tell a parent that when they're thinking about that device is a thousand dollars and I put that child through surgery, they're gonna wear that, you know, implant and shifting their focus to what's the problem? Right. What's the behavior? Right. Is so important. And with every population that's the mm-hmm. same. What's the problem versus what's the behavior? Yeah. We always look at the why, you know, versus immediately trying to cry, which is hard. It's hard, especially when, you know, I've got students where I've obviously been working with them for a couple years. I know all their little moods. I know they know mine. And, you know, if it's not a good day, um, they might try to test me. And, you know, that's my real test of patience, I guess, because sometimes I, I just want to be like, that is not okay. You, you cannot do that. Yeah, no, totally. But... And I think just like any professional that works with, you know, kids who are <clears throat> on the spectrum or kids who have hearing loss is that there's always a why for yeah. the behaviors. So there's always a why for the misunderstanding or for, you know, the lack of, you know, interest, you know, in trying to work through that. And sometimes when you don't know, you know, I haven't worked with very many kids on the spectrum because I went from a you know, elementary school caseload to basically an entire caseload of deaf and hard of hearing kids. So I think I would feel a little bit of panic of I'm seeing something I'm not familiar with. And I think a lot of times when we hear horror stories about kids who have hearing loss in the mainstream or in public schools, it's because it's a not very common disability to come by and people don't take it as seriously, which doesn't make any sense in my world, but you know, it's, oh, they're hearing fine. I said their name and they turned and it's like, okay, you're right. But they didn't hear that entire lesson that you just gave. And so really my hope is to provide just a friendly voice and know that it's not scary, these kids, and that they can succeed and will succeed when they get someone who takes the time to work with them and takes the time to look at that why of yeah of all the behaviors and the lack of interest and maybe it's because they're not hearing it or maybe it's because you muted the transmitter and they didn't hear a single thing you just taught and so they're playing with their pencil under their desk because that's what makes more sense to them in that moment and you know making sure that all those pieces and parts are together and yeah I just I love my kids. I I can tell. No, it's so fun to talk with people that like share that just like joy of working with our students and, you know, the love for them. It's awesome. So thanks for sharing that. Of course. And I think too, it's like the place that I work in is really special. There's not very many schools like mine in California or even nationally. And so to be able to get this experience so early on in my career has been a blessing. And I'm just so thankful that I get to know these kids and their families and to, to broaden my own personal growth too. I learned so much from them just as much as they learned. Right. Um, and I just, yeah, I love them. And I, I would do this job for free. My boss shouldn't hear that. My dad says that's not a very good negotiating tactic, but I know. I think that's how I know that I'm in the right place is that right. I do this job for free. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. No. I love that. And I've definitely, I feel that because 
you know, I always want to like find ways to help other families or, you know, and that's part of the reason I do this podcast and, um, I've started doing, you know, YouTube videos just to throw ideas out there for people to, or families to use with their little ones to foster speech and language development. Cause I'm like, really, you know, I love helping you guys. And, um, I, yeah, but same thing. I shouldn't really say it out loud. Cause you know, I don't want my school district to be like, well, okay, Marie, go ahead. <laughs> I think too, it's like, like you said, you know, there's so many people out there who, who wouldn't know how to play or read or work with their students. And so if we can give them even a glimmer or a hope or even other professionals. If you have a deaf and hard of hearing kid on your caseload that utilizes technology, I just want to give you a glimmer or a hope or an idea of how to work with those kids because I, they're my babies that I send into the districts that are going to work with SLPs that might have never seen a cochlear implant before, except in a textbook. Um, And so you know, I just, I want to provide that support as much as I can. Yeah. Well, thank you. And you know, if, if your inbox is flooded with emails from other SLPs after this, um, <laughs> besides me, <laughs> uh, you know, the thing, like if you ever got a preschooler that, you know, had cochlear implants and you're struggling with something, you know, that's why building these connections between all of us is so important. Yeah. So, you know, when you reached out, I thought, she's not going to want to talk to someone like me. I don't have a following. I don't have anything. But then when I thought about it is I have a unique perspective yes. that is even still new, right? And I could learn something new in the next year or two years before I can call myself, you know, a pro on anything. But, and the thing though, Lauren, is you love what you do. You're very clearly like willing to learn more, you know, from, and I always say my students are my best teachers and you, um, you know, whether you're learning from your students or your teachers or whatever, um, it's, it shows through just like this conversation and how much passion you have for your students and making sure their quality of life and their communication is better, um, and that they enjoy it and can go out into the world and, uh, utilize the things that you teach them and so yeah it I'm so glad that you uh you know dm'd me (laughs) because it's you know it's like you said it's been so great to make these connections over social media in the last couple months I think for a lot of us it's been very beneficial and it we all have something different to bring whether you've been in the field for two months or you know 40 years, it's like we all have different experiences. We all have different, like, uh, specializations. But what, am, field, what am I trying to say? Just basically. <laughs> this is my, my brain. It's a long day, girl. It is a long day. Um, specialties. Yes. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Um, but, you know, we all just uh, – as long as we are open-minded and, you know, willing to learn, I think we could all be very successful and, and helping each other is a really great way to start doing that. So. Yeah. Um, and thinking of ourselves as like a stepping stone. I know my kids aren't going to stay with me forever. Yeah. Even though I wish they could. Right. I'm a stepping stone for them. And so I want to give them the best stepping stone 
before they go on to the next one. And right. I'm sure you feel the same way about your preschoolers. You know, you only have a finite amount of time with them. So you give them as much as you can and then hope that the next SLP or the next teacher is going to be just as supportive and loving and confident as you are. So. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, this has been such a fun conversation. I love talking to you and I appreciate the opportunity to get to share just a little snippet of what I do. Yes, no, definitely. And if there's ever anything else you want to come on and talk about, feel free to let me know or I'll just, I'll probably hit you up and be like. Totally, anytime. Or like, if you want to do like a collab YouTube where we talk about how to do different like activities or my favorite toys that I use with my kids. Yeah. Oh no, that'd be really fun. We'll have to, maybe we'll chat a little bit after this. <laughs> that'd be really fun. Um, okay. But really quick to end the conversation. So I, I wanted to know one fun fact about you, but I also want to know what your favorite Harry Potter book and character is. So it could be the same fact or you could give me two different, I don't know, but I'll give you two different facts. So I'll start with my fun fact about me, which I actually technically have two because one is I've been to 16 different countries, which wow. is unique. Um, my family has really been a lover of travel, and I've gotten really great experiences, which I think of is the best gift my parents ever have given me in my wow. life, is that they've allowed us to travel and, and also just brought our family together, too, of these amazing experiences that we've had. So thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also just recently picked up golf. Also, oh. thanks mom and dad because <laughs> them. Um, but it's been so fun to just like get outside and then combining it with travel. Like most places have golf courses, and so yeah. it's kind of fun to get out and be active, but also have it be super chill. Yeah, I'm gonna say if because I've never played golf, but my boyfriend has in the past. And it does seem just kind of like chill, but like you said, to get outside, because I think a lot of us have been really just aching to get outdoors. Um, and so it's been one of the only things that's been open throughout this entire right. pandemic. So it's like the perfect social distancing sport. Right. <laughs> you have your own. If we ever get to meet in person, we'll have to all play golf together. Okay. It's possible it would be my first time, but I wouldn't mind it. Oh, good. Everyone has to have a first time for something. Exactly. No, exactly. Okay. Favorite Harry Potter book is Goblet of Fire, book number okay. four. I love the Triwizard Tournament, the water aspect, the whole thing. Favorite character, Neville Longbottom. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just so much fierce loyalty and perseverance and glow up in the movie. Right? <laughs> Um, I actually met him at Comic-Con. It was the best moment of my life. Oh, how cool. Yeah, I just loved how he never tried to be anything but himself. And that's something that I've always tried to do is, you know what? Neville can do it. I can do it. So. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's a good one. What about you? Favorite book? Favorite character? I do love The Goblet of Fire. Um, but I also love the prisoner of Azkaban, Azkaban. Um, those, it's kind of a toss up. I, okay. So I reread the first four books, like the beginning of quarantine really fast. I read them really fast. And I think the prisoner of Azkaban was like my like quickest one. Cause I was like, yeah, I love this one. And then 
the Goblet of Fire took a little bit longer because I hate how that one ends. It always makes me sad. So. It's, like, it's like a, it's like a, what is that called? The curve that we talk about, like with this. The bell curve. The bell curve. <laughs> like that with Harry Potter, it's like an upward climb and then it down, goes down. Such a range of emotions. It's ridiculous. But that one is, it is a very good one. And like you said, I love the, different aspects of the tournament I love how she wrote them with all the details and stuff like I don't know how her mind did that I don't know my favorite character I always I and I know I could get a lot of uh uh hate for this one but I always liked Snape I don't think that's hate okay well because you know that I don't want to spoil the whole series for everybody but you know the end but I think he had good intentions I think so too and especially you know if we, once you learn the true nature, yeah, then exactly. you feel like you understand the actions before a little exactly. bit. Exactly. A little more of a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's like, I just, I just liked his whole backstory. Once you kind of get into that, you're like, okay. And he's very, like, it's very human of him. Like every, like, it's like everybody else. Like I, I loved Hermione too, because she was kind of like how I was in high school and yes, <laughs> I am Hermione. Yeah. So I was, you know, the, the, uh, kind of yeah. nerdy, um, <laughs> just well, focused on school. Do whole podcast and talk about I know, like, I know <laughs> that could be a fun, like bonus episode actually. We have lots to talk about after this, but, but yeah, so those are mine. <laughs> I love that. I mean, when I was, I got a little nervous that you were going to be like, Dolores Umbridge is my favorite character, you know, like that would be controversial. She would have some issues. No, but I, well, I've told people that the Snape thing before and they're like, what? I think it was my sister. Probably if I told anybody, it was my sister who was like, how could you? we've survived that so well good well thank you again this has been amazing and I love talking to you and I'm so looking forward to what this kind of professional connection is gonna turn into yes no thank you so much for coming on and uh you know maybe maybe another one soon All right. Well, that wraps up this installment of the Thanks Morris podcast. I can't wait for you to see what we have in store for next week. So please stay tuned. Thank you, Lauren, for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom and inspiring us all. Friends, you can find Lauren on Instagram. I have her handle in the notes. Please also check out the YouTube video we put together um, where we collaborated to share with you how we use sentence strips and model language expansion in our various settings. So that link is also in the notes here where you can find us uh, sharing two different perspectives on sentence strips. Thank you so much, friends. I look forward to talking to you next week. Remember, go out there and be grateful. Say thanks more. Why don't you think of three things right now as we sign off? uh, Three things that you want to say thanks more for in this moment. Ready, set, go. And bye-bye.